Welcome to The Experience, sharing insights into the future of customer and employee experiences with Avaya. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Experience, brought to you by Avaya where we're bringing you thought-provoking conversations with industry leaders, technologists, creators, influencers, and others who are bringing to life the future of experiences. I'm Steve Forkham, and joining me on the show today is one of the Explorer Club's 50 People Changing the World, Dr. Cyan Proctor. You may have heard her in one of her many TV appearances or taken her geology class at South Mountain Community College. But one of the most inspiring entries on her resume is that she has the honor of being the first black woman to pilot a spacecraft, the inspiration for all civilian orbital space flight. She's here today to talk to us about her amazing experiences as an explorer, an educator, and the importance of diversity, inclusion, and individuality in all lines of work. Dr. Proctor, thank you for joining us so much. I'm just beyond excited to meet with you and talk to you today and really excited to uh, have a conversation about your journey to space and what you've been doing since. I'm really thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, why don't we start with what everybody's probably thinking? Can you share the experience of being the mission pilot for the inspiration for all civilian orbital mission to space? Yes. Well, it really was a dream come true because as a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot and eventually an astronaut. And those dreams kind of slipped away when I was a teenager and I forgot about that. And then they reemerged and in my late, you know, I'm 51. And to get this opportunity now to not only be an astronaut, but also become the mission pilot, it was like a two for one, you know, <laughs> golden ticket moment for sure. Sure. Now, you know, I, we watched the special ourselves and just the sheer joy when you guys opened the cupola window, it, it just really came through. I think you guys have the ability to, to answer a lot of questions that, you know, people debate on Earth, starting with, is the Earth flat? I mean, I think we could see that from the cupola window, right? We could. I think we can retire that, hopefully. Yes. What were some of the thoughts that you had when you were, you know, about ready to take off once you guys achieved orbit? You know, what were some of the things going through your mind? You know, it really was this moment of, wow, I'm actually going to space because, you know, you're getting strapped in. You're you're still thinking or hoping that there's not going to be a scrub You've been spending the last six months preparing and to some extent, it felt like you were back in the sim, but instead you're on the top of this rocket. And it really got real when we got down to the last 10 minutes and I was like, okay, we're doing this, you know? Uh, and then the, we got down to the liftoff and it, what a ride, just fantastic and smoother than I anticipated. Really? I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even like you because Jared and I are, are watching the screens and Jared's mm -hmm. my commander and, and we're making sure that everything is on target and all of that. And our screens didn't, you know, they weren't uh, jiggling or any of that. I could read them clearly. And I just kept thinking, wow, everything's going just the way it's supposed to go. And then you, you get on orbit, you know, 10 minutes later, there you are. 
And it's just this great feeling because of weightlessness where your brain is like, whoa, what's going on here? And, and you're trying to process that, that you're now floating in space. And then you get the opportunity to open up the hatch. We had a Ford hatch that you, you close because that's where our cupola is. And that's normally okay. where the NASA astronauts are going to ingress or egress into the International Space Station. But because we were just doing a 3D orbital mission and not docking with the ISS, SpaceX was kind enough to create the largest window ever flown in space just for us. And, and it's a domed window where you can slide up to just past your shoulders. And man, the view was breathtaking. And so opening up the cupola, seeing the earth for the first time, seeing the edge, the entire sphere of the earth, it just, it's, it's seared into my brain. It's something that, you know, I can describe, I can bring pictures and photos, but nothing captures that moment because you need to feel that weightlessness. You need to kind of have this feeling of being able to look around and see the moon off to the side, just hanging there suspended and the star field below you because we were inverted. Sure. And so life-changing moment. I can only imagine. And I think most people can only imagine. I think I saw on the, on the special, there was less than 700 people have been to outer space. I mean, yes, less than 600, less than 600. So you're part of an amazing, you know, alumni there. You brought up some memorabilia and it was just, it was an amazing thing. Just the whole thing was absolutely stunning to watch. And I can only imagine what that, you know, the, the, the little kid in me who always looked up at the sky and always kind of imagined, you know, you've actually achieved and just amazing. With your resume so extensive, you know, what, I, I think I kind of know the answer to this, but what accomplishment or accomplishments were you most proud of achieving so far? You know, there's a there's a few of them. One of them, obviously, is becoming the mission pilot and going to space. <laughs> That's a big one. But even <laughs> becoming a pilot and, and getting my pilot's license. As a kid, I wanted to fly. I didn't achieve that until I was in my mid-30s. And the other one was becoming Dr. Proctor because neither of my parents had college degrees. My dad was a self-taught scientist, mathematician, got picked up by NASA working for a contractor on Guam during the Apollo missions. And that's where I was born, a direct result of Neil Armstrong stepping foot on the moon. So I consider myself a moon baby. <laughs> and that space has always been a part of me and in my blood. And so becoming Dr. Proctor, because my dad was such an an advocate for education and really wanted me and my siblings to go and get as much education as we can because he felt like that was the way to, you know, even the playing field to for us as, you know, uh, an African-American family to be able to achieve in America. And so and I, I can proudly say that I'm the only one out of my siblings. We all got our degrees, but I'm the only one that is Dr. Proctor. <laughs> That's bragging rights right there. <laughs> What inspired you to pursue the sciences? I think you probably just answered that. But, you know, I understand your father worked with Neil Armstrong and Apollo. You called yourself a NASA baby or a moon baby. Is it in your DNA? I mean, is NASA like interwoven in the Proctor DNA? Yeah. You know, I think that history of like, exploration is and, and being able to advance human spaceflight. 
I know that it was a big part of my dad's career where he was very proud of the time that he was with NASA and, and they moved, they left shortly after I was born. And my dad went more into the computer industry and doing some other things. But as a kid, I always grew up with that memorabilia on his office wall and the Neil Armstrong autograph and how proud he was of that. And so for me, my dad passed away when I was 19. And so he hasn't been able to see me achieve any of the things that I've done as an adult. And for me to be able to, to take that Neil Armstrong autograph with me to space and fly it uh, was one of the highlights because, you know, it's it was to my dad. It said to Ed, thanks for all the help, Neil Armstrong, Apollo 11. And he was known, Neil Armstrong did not give out his autograph. He just yeah. was a humble guy, didn't think that it was something that he needed to do. And, and he only did it on very special occasions. Now, I also have to say the artwork that was displayed that you had created in space was just amazing. Just in and of that, like you have so many talents that I could only dream of having and and skills that, you know, I'm just beyond jealous of. And artistry is another one. You know, <laughs> what in your background really helped make you passionate about, you know, the whole STEAM category, science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics and education in these spaces? Well, you know, it took a long time for me to find my artist voice. And part of that is that I grew up in a science family. My dad mm -hmm. was all about, you know, STEM. And, and he's like, go to college, get a degree in science, you know, technology, engineering or mathematics. You know, we didn't have a lot of choice, even though I did theater and things like that. When I was a kid, my dad was like, eh, you know, you're going to become a scientist. And luckily I had the aptitude for science and always loved it as an explorer. And so going off and getting my, becoming a geoscientist fit, I, there's no planet better than earth. And so I, I only became an artist during COVID. And the big reason why is because all of my energy, my creative energy has always been spent traveling as a geoscientist and investigating our planet and creating curriculum for my students. And then I, I was no longer doing that. I was stuck at home like everybody else around the world. And, and that was the time when I thought, oh, you know, here's some people were cooking and baking and uh, doing all kinds of things. And I decided I'm going to see how if I can be an artist. <laughs> so I decided to become a space artist. And because I didn't know if I could draw or paint, I started with collage art and being able to cut pieces out and stick them together in interesting ways. And, sure. and that gave me confidence to be able to think, okay, well, maybe I'll try drawing and then maybe I'll try painting. And so it's been a real progression. Well, and, and it culminated with me being able to, you know, paint in space and draw in space. And I actually have the drawing that I did on orbit. And so this oh, um, dragon <laughs> carrying the, the capsule. That, yep. That's what I saw. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's a highlight of my life to be able to go as a geoscientist, but also win my seat to space as an artist and a poet. Yeah, that's amazing. The Apple, I think, was a little ahead of the technology industry in realizing the value of blending. You know, I, Apple used to have the slide that they talked about that, you know, they operated at the intersection of humanities and technology. Mm -hmm. And it's great to see that expanding, you know, the, the whole STEM turning to STEAM initiative, I think, is inspiring. As a parent, my son is a computer science major, you know, and, and I kind of 
I guess, did the same thing your dad did of pushing him towards, you know, the sciences. But he also was a theater kid and he's very much embraced the the arts aspect. And I think that really creates a well-rounded professional in any career, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my call sign that was given to me by my crew members and our, our inspiration for team is Leo. And a lot of people are like, oh, Leo, is that your, you know, astrology sign? And I'm like, no, it's because they saw me or see me as Leonardo da Vinci, a modern day version of Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, a, a Renaissance woman. And in the past, when you look at da Vinci, he was a combination of the arts and the sciences mm. to pull those things apart to say, yeah, you can be an artist or you can be a scientist when in the past it wasn't the case. You had to be able to draw, you know, even like you look at a lot of the famous scientists in the past, they had to be able to draw and sketch and also think about these scientific concepts and bring it all together. Uh, and we just kind of separated them out. And so I think we have a renaissance happening in education where we're trying to, like you said, create individuals that are more holistic, where you can be an artist and appreciate the science within your arts, for instance, colors or music, how, you know, it's all mathematics or be a scientist and appreciate the art of the science and the technology, for instance, as a computer scientist or a coder, you know, those numbers, they form art, even looking at our built environment and how beautiful our environment is from an artistic standpoint. So there's science in art and technology and engineering and mathematics and everything. And it's our job to just be able to see it and the blending of those worlds. Sure, sure. Now, another thing that I loved from a combination perspective was inspiration for was more than just somebody going on a throw ride up and then coming back down after spending 10 minutes weightless throwing Skittles at each other. You guys, number one, were actually doing science. But number two, you also blended in the charity aspect. Watching the video and seeing those children at St. Jude's and their eyes light up, seeing the potential of what's possible. And you guys taking an amazing event and making it even more impactful. Can you share a little bit about what that meant to you and what your thoughts were, you know, in space, having a, a video chat with kids back on the planet? I mean, it's just mind blowing. Yes. You know, luckily, Jared Eisenman, our commander, is the most thoughtful person and generous person that I've ever met. And so when he was coming up with the idea of going to space, he knew that he wasn't going to just take his buddies along, which he could have done. And he knew that he wanted to give back to Earth. And in some way that that idea of solving for space solves for Earth and, and you can be thoughtful and intentional with your actions. And so he picked St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and he decided that together with Inspiration4, they would do the largest fundraiser in the hospital's existence. And so the goal was to raise $200 million for St. Jude. And when we splashed down, we had exceeded that goal. And so we were extremely happy. And I literally just got back from visiting the campus of St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis and getting to see the not only the researchers and the physicians and the staff and and all of them, but the, the kids that are there getting treated, including the kids that we talked to while we were on orbit. And so that 
special connection, the way we have impacted them. And what Haley says, who has the hope seat of giving these kids hope that there's life after cancer and how much that's meant to Haley. And then how much it means for us as a crew to be able to give this experience to those kids and give them that hope. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think that's one of the things that I love working at Avaya is we are frequently looking for ways to give back. So we have a whole month of charitable giving in October, our upcoming conference, we adopt the charity, uh, usually local to where the conference is. And we always raise money. And this year, we're actually going to be conducting a, a hackathon before the conference. And one of the things we're going to try and task the, the participants with is mm-hmm. build something that will help the charity. So this way, we're really kind of creating this cyclical science plus the charity equals even greater outcomes. I love that. You know, so have you seen scientific fields in a kind of another area of impact? Have you seen scientific fields become more diverse or inclusive over the course of your career? What are the benefits that you find in making research in scientific fields more diverse overall? I think it's long overdue. I'm uh, just curious to see what your thoughts are and what you've seen in your experiences. Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, as a scientist, I've definitely seen the diversity increase, particularly a lot more women across the sciences, but then also a big push for underrepresented groups to become part of the sciences and, and invest their career in that. You know, biology has pretty much led the way of becoming the most diverse, I think, whereas the area that I'm in, geoscience, is still lagging far behind, but there are a lot of initiatives to kind of bring that up space industry also. I mean, one of the things that I love about SpaceX when I went to visit is that the amount of diversity now still male dominant, but lots of females, lots of young females entering the field and um, given positions of leadership and being able to, you know, help shape the future of human spaceflight. And I think that, you know, why does this matter is, yeah, you know, one of the things that I created was this patch called Chasing the Dream, okay, which references Martin Luther King. I have a dream, you know, Chasing the Dream and then a Jedi space, a just, equitable, diverse and inclusive space. And this was based on my artwork that's in there. And it's this idea of how do you create a Jedi space around you, you know, that your space matters, the the space that you carry everywhere with you. And so if we can think individually about how to use our space, I call that your space to inspire, to create a Jedi space within it and actively pursue that, just think of what the world would be like. And, and, And the reason why that matters is because when you have diversity and you have inclusion, you, you get different voices and opinions that help to solve really tough problems. And because when you only see it from your perspective or your lens, you are missing a wide variety of other options that you don't even know exist because you're already blinded by your experiences and in your own world. Sure. And it's really important to be open to that diverse set of insights in order to move forward in unique, creative ways, but also to solve some of the wicked problems that we face. So what have you seen as best practices for in your work and and helping bring teams together? You know, during the pandemic, you talked about the fact that we were all very solitary pre and post pandemic. 
and, and pre and post space. How, how, what have you seen as best practices for helping groups achieve more and come together and achieve, you know, the sum is greater than the, uh, the whole, right? We, you know, it's about breaking down barriers and creating community. And the way you create community is through social gatherings, really. And, and it, it's, it was hard to do that during COVID. But, you know, one of the things that as an analog astronaut, where I've spent time living in moon and Mars simulations, and also just going through the training with my crew, it's about going out together and eating dinner and having real conversations, taking on challenges like we climbed Mount Rainier, which was one of the most challenging things that me and my crew members have done. And, but it bonds you in a way because now you have something to talk about it because a lot of times we talk about networking and creating groups and stuff, but you have to not network. You have to connect, you have to go deeper and you have to know what your colleagues like and don't like. And those conversations typically happen over, you know, meals and time spent together and retreats and those kinds of things, because you break down barriers then. And then going from a strength standpoint, one of the things that I had my crew do was take the strength finder assessment. So from a positive psychology, instead of thinking about weaknesses, this is about what are you good at and how does that complement the rest of the team? And so it was fun to, you know, figure out what Haley's strengths are, what Jared's strengths are, what Chris's strengths are and mine, and then map that out and see how we looked as a team. And then even go further and look at the whole Inspiration4 team and thinking about, well, what gaps do we might have that they help fill in? And then another fun one was just, you know, three of the four of us were Harry Potter fans. So we talked about what house you belonged in and how your house tells a lot about you. And so, (laughs) so little things like that, pop culture kind of references, ways to build in laughter and, you know, connections, connections matter. Sure. Now, what technologies have you found that are making teaching and collaboration easier, you know, in the market? Oh, that's a great question. And so a lot of that is, again, ways in which you can create connections virtually. Because Mm -hmm. we've been teaching at a distance, you feel like you're disconnected. And so there's you have to figure out how not only can you make connections in this digital world by having real conversations and kind of virtual classes that come together, but in a meaningful way, where when you're there, you are having fun and you're engaging in conversations and discussions in meaningful ways so that you're just not tuning out. But then there's also the asynchronous part of when you're creating lessons and stuff as an instructor, how do you create lessons that require creativity and inspiration. So for me, from geology, I would teach a class on a tour of the solar system. And so giving my students the ability, instead of lecturing to them, I have them create their own unique tour of the solar system. And, you know, doing things like, you know, we're going to talk about Mercury. What are the 10 most interesting things that you think people should know about Mercury and why, but do it to, you know, create a video and, and with images and, and tell me why you think these 10 things are the most important thing. And you can add music and you can put animation and you can do all of these things, but I want you to reference, I want you to find good sites and I want you to reference them in APA format. And so you give them structure, but you also allow them to be creative in that structure and have ownership of what they're developing and sharing out. And so I think that that's the big thing is 
problem solving, creative activities that allow people to connect. That's great. Can you tell us what is space to inspire and how is technology helping in the mission to advance women and girls of color? Space to Inspire is my motto. It's about using your unique space, the space. A lot of times people think when I say space to inspire, they think I'm talking about outer space. But no, I'm talking about your unique space that you carry everywhere you go. This space within one arm's length of you. It's your entire world, your entire life. And how do you use that to inspire people within your reach and beyond? And so that's when you get people thinking about how unique their space is and how they can take this space and do incredible things with it, then you're empowering them again to go out and do amazing things. And so when it comes to women of color and girls of color, I think it's, again, empowering them where they're at. And so you do that by, if you're interested in music, if I was talking to a young girl of, of color who is interested in music, even though I want her to think about STEAM or, or going into the sciences and technology, I start talking to her about the music, why she loves it, and then getting into the melody and the beat and saying, well, you know, do you recognize the math in that? And do you see the science and how that translates and then getting into, you know, radio waves and sound waves and the electromagnetic spectrum? I mean, there's so much you can go with from there, but you're going from where they're at and where their interests lie. And then you're bringing them on this journey. I want to thank you for joining us today, Dr. Proctor. You're an absolute inspiration. I have enjoyed this conversation immensely. And I just want to, again, thank you for your time I'm really, really appreciative of it. Thank you for having me and letting me share my Space to Inspire story with everyone. I'd like to thank Dr. Cyan Proctor for coming on the show today and exploring her inspirational story, talking about some of the amazing work she's been doing and telling us why there's reason to be hopeful about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe for updates on new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Steve Forkham, and this has been The Experience, a podcast where we share insights into the future of customer and employee experiences.